Hi, I'm Dr. Sarah Howard, and welcome to the Pure Animal Podcast. On today's episode, we're talking to Dr. Geraldine Blanchard, all about nutritional medicine. Geraldine graduated from the Vet School of Alfort in France in 1994 and held interest in equine medicine, but even more so in nutrition. She first oriented to an academic career, completing her PhD in 1999 on lipoprotein metabolism and hepatic lipidosis in cats, and became a diplomat of the European College of Veterinary and Comparative Nutrition in 2002. From 1996, she developed clinical nutrition at the Vet School of Alfort, where she was assistant professor until 2006. She then moved to Australia and worked as a senior lecturer at the University of Queensland before heading back to France, where she launched a private consulting company called Animal Nutrition Expertise. More recently, she has launched a second company, Vet Nutrition Coach, dedicated to continuing education in animal nutrition and veterinary sciences. Hello, Geraldine. Thank you so much for joining us today on the Pure Animal Podcast, all the way from Paris in France. How are you? Hello, Sarah. I'm very well, thank you. It's a nice day here. I'm very happy to be um, invited to um, chat with you today. It's, um, it's an honour for me. Oh, well, it's an honour for us as well. And I'm really excited to hear all about your work and um, your expertise, which is in the area of animal nutrition, which is definitely an interest of mine as well. I, I know from reading your um, bio that you're um, an avid horse rider, as am I, and I'm also very interested in equine nutrition. So I'm sure we've got a lot in common. Yeah, actually, that was my first um, goal, which... Um the horses drove me to animal. I think it's more than, yeah, it's really a passion. So, yeah. mm. Geraldine, I'd really love if you're able to share with me and our listeners um, your story of, of what made you want to become a vet, um, whether it was just those, those that love of horses, and what particularly drew you to the field of nutrition. Of course, yeah, as a, I'm, I'm sure a number of vets, um, it's just because I loved animals and wanted to take care of them and um, being a vet probably hope to love them more or care more about them. So, yeah, I was, um, since I was five, I think, um, oh, wow. the oldest I could be told. Yeah. Mm. Um, and so being passionate about horses, uh, I first wanted to be an equine surgeon. Mm, okay. Again, I guess because yeah, <laughs> I guess because being a surgeon is the most medical option you have when you're a kid. Um, so mm. that was my first goal, and uh, then I did my vet studies and um, realized that there were other options, not only surgery, which I mm. still I'm very interested in. But um, um, I realized that um, I was more interesting, not only in practicing, but also training research at the clinics. And I discovered nutrition at this time and uh, then decided to go on this track and follow nutrition because it could embrace all the fields, you know, even um, healthy animals or sick ones. And um, yeah, and um, my, my feet made me to develop more clinical nutrition in the hospital. And that was definitely what I wanted to do. 
That's a lovely story. And were you interested in nutrition for your own health as well, or was it purely something that developed once you'd started studying veterinary medicine? Yeah, nutrition is really a part of our life. So uh, not only for our animals and our cats, uh, but also for us. So it's more, you know, um, thinking about nutrition in people's mind may, may be associated with dietetics and something very strict. Whereas for us, um, in our family and home, uh, we feel nutrition more as um, healthy, of course, but also gastronomy. So we're very turned, very much turned on cooking and having very good food. So it's a kind of way of life, I would say. Mm. Yeah. Especially in France. <laughs> well, <laughs> it may help. It may help. Yeah. <laughs> I always remember my grandma cooking and, uh, yeah, that's probably something cultural too. Oh, absolutely. But it's definitely not, not applying only to animals, not, not only. <laughs> and so obviously we're, we're talking to you from France and that's where you're based. And I know that you've got quite a background, which I've already shared with our listeners, but you're currently working mainly as a private consultant and educator. Is that right? Yeah. Um, actually, I used to um, work at the vet school for a while when I quit the vet school in um, it's a long time now, in 2006. Mm-hmm. Um, then I uh, was at Machu and uh, in 2007 when I came back I, I left the vet school actually because there was no opportunity to stay um, for a longer career I was associate professor and there was no option to um, go better than this for the next decade so because there was no way for me so I decided to do something different mm-hmm. and um, I always run the uh, clinical well, I started and developed the clinical nutrition consultation and um, when I left, I, I left with this idea that people used to come to me for nutrition advice. And I could provide this advice because at this time, internet started to be good enough that you could provide a service, a distant, long-distance service. So uh, I had this idea to offer um, an online service, but at this time was only by email because it was really in the beginning. Mm-hmm. And I kept this in my mind. And um, when I came back to friends, I did that so that's more than 10 years ago now and improved it of course so I have this special activity which is through a website to provide a, a nutrition service um, an online nutrition service to pet owners for healthy animals and to vets of course for any situation and so this is a part that I can happily do from anywhere in the world so mm. I, I do travel a lot and that's a very very practical way to do it um, but I also run a, a, a consultation in a practice here in Paris. Then uh, I keep seeing real pets and owners, so it's not only a, a virtual activity. Yeah. Um, and I, <laughs> yeah, and I still also do education. I'm a, a specialist, a European specialist in nutrition, and a part of this being a specialist is to educate or to provide knowledge, skills, and so on. And so um, since. A few years now, we've um, launched a company just for that, just for providing um, education. Amazing, Geraldine. It sounds like you've had quite the journey. Um, but what we'd really love to learn about today is nutrition, which is your passion. So let's dive into that topic. And firstly, I'd love to discuss your approach to using nutrition as part of a preventative medicine plan, whether for a healthy animal or for one that is just in the early um, stages of an illness or something, um, some animal that is 
predisposed to an illness? Yeah, actually, it's uh, it's a very important topic to go and, and think nutrition as a part of preventive medicine. So you may um, may know this quote from Hippocrates, um, who said a few centuries ago, "Nutrition as your first medicine." Mm. Um, when nutrition was more known and discovered, um, it appeared that we have to we have to eat, of course, to to live basically mm-hmm. and to stay healthy. And um, the better nutrition will be, the longer you can live and the, the closest to your genetic potential you can go. And the way it is, is and, and we, we have a tendency to forget this now because this has been known for a long time now. It's We need to receive in our uh, daily food a, a few, well, a, about 40 different nutrients every day. Wow. Which means, yeah, so as we have to receive them, that means if we do not receive them, we get sick. Mm. And this is, um, for for instance, uh, it's been discovered like for scarbage, for a deficiency in vitamin C in humans. Uh, when the sailors used to go and sail for, for weeks and months around the planet um, in the early age of... Um, traveling or exploring the world, these people were sick and died because of this um, deficiency in vitamin C and they discovered that if they take some sauerkraut or um, citrus on board the boats and have them, they did not get sick. And lately it's been discovered that there was vitamin C there and that prevented from this disease. Mm. So this is the definition of an essential nutrient. If if you do not receive it in your food, you get sick. Mm. So um, this is basically what we have to go back to understand what, why uh, nutrition is so important in, in preventive medicine and how it has to be considered. So the nutrients may be different for dogs, cats and humans, of course, but the principle is still there. Mm. And uh, so the the first thing when you feed your dog or cat, of course, you do feed them. Otherwise, they would be not there anymore. (laughs) But when you look at them and you see some signs, then it's interesting to know these signs and relate them. Not only, of course, but to know that you, you can relate them to nutrition issues. Like when you have a dog and the, the, the hair coat is not shining, uh, it's losing some hair, like not seasonally, but a lot. Um, or when the muscle mass doesn't seem to be so nice, it's a bit um, losing muscle mass, I would say. Um, you know, on, on the top of the head and you have over the eyes, mm-hmm. this zone which should be a bit bumpy with muscle mass when it's not, when it's uh, starting to be... Um, flat or, mm-hmm. um, or, or or less, then you, you can relate this to a loss, uh, um, missing protein in the diet. Uh, when okay. the hair coat is not nice, think about nutrition. If nutrition is not nice, the hair coat won't be nice. Mm. So before going to any special options, nutrition has to be considered. Mm. And the food given, the quality, the amount of nutrients inside, considering the special pet, not any dog, but this dog, may be taken into consideration. So this is the first part, I would say, it's to to um, be able to recognize these signs, which may enlighten a little tick, a little box, open a little box in the mind, say, oh, 
if this is not nice, maybe nutrition is not the best one for this dog. Mm. There's not no disease for now, but um, they could be in the as long term. So let's be careful. Yeah. The second thing um, I can say on this is um, a, a not ideal nutrition does not kill quickly. Mm. Fortunately, uh, we all, of course, no, no, nobody is um, perfectly or ideally n- nourished. Okay, but um, and and people, a good body in general, people, but it's true for dogs get tolerate. Um, a not ideal nutrition for a long, long time. Mm. So that means, um, you know, it's not like being a surgeon, actually. The bone is broken, you repair it, it's done. Yeah. Um, being a nutritionist is a bit more challenging uh, because it's a very long-term process. And, um, for example, to change the diet, uh, if there's a uh, haircut tissue, for instance, uh, you have to wait for one month to hope and see the change because it takes time to the body to improve. Mm. But then when it's done, you keep the same diet and it will stay nice. If you change again, it will take less than a month to go back to not ideal, not, not tiny or whatever, but not very quickly. Mm. So um, the challenge of nutrition as, prevent- as part of preventive medicine is to understand that good nutrition is a long-term issue. It's a long-term process. Mm-hmm. And it's improving health as a long term. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so, all right. So, a part of this, of course, there are toxicities. Like, uh, if you take a huge amount of, of calcium or vitamin C, um, vitamin A, vitamin D, selenium, in, in a very high um, consumption for one of these nutrients, you can get sick very quickly. Like you, I, I, I'm talking about a dog or a cat. So, mm-hmm. of course, there are. Toxic nutrients, but most of the um, unbalanced nutrition will not kill quickly. That means uh, you have to be aware of the signs associated with malnutrition. And so when you're seeing, um, I know um, you said that you do quite a lot of online consultations, but when you're seeing animals and doing a physical exam on them, are you sort of taking those clues such as a poor hair coat or the muscle mass um, loss on the skull um, as examples? Are you taking those clues and then um, doing any diagnostic tests such as blood tests to, to assess levels or any sort of samples? Or are you just trialling um, an improvement in diet based on those um, physical changes that you're seeing? There may be both. Sometimes a blood test will be necessary to um, first to um, eliminate other options than nutrition. Mm-hmm. So if you think about a disease, or of course, it's like any diagnosis with a different type of disease. Um, but um, it's very difficult to relate the composition of the blood to malnutrition, except if it's really a huge deficiency for a long term. Like if you have anemia, for instance, that you can diagnose based on a blood test, that can be related to nutrition, but to a lot of other conditions, of course. Mm-hmm. And it appear, it, it happens very late, very lately. So there are, unfortunately, um, there are very, very few um, nutrients you can measure in the blood which can tell you, oh yeah, this diet is deficient in this and that. Yeah. This is related to the fact that the blood composition is something quite um, stable 
fortunately, because if it's not, then your body will suffer about it. Yes. And so very, very few um, options can be diagnosed or malnutrition options can be diagnosed by a blood test. You have to go and see the animal, look at the animal and go back to the food it's receiving and put together the requirements and the coverage of these requirements and see how good it is um, or how bad it is and try to do better. Okay. So nutrition is not simple. Malnutrition is not simple to diagnose. No. Um, Unfortunately, yeah, it's not very easy. And do you, I know, um, I don't know anything about it, but I have heard of some people that take samples of the hair to do mineral analysis and different mm. things like that. What's your take on mm. that? Same. Unfortunately, the the composition of the of the of the hair will reflect at some point what the, the animal has received. Mm-hmm. But um, it's for dog or cat, you cannot relate um, the current diet or the long term diet to the composition of hair. It's been tried. Uh, yeah. There are many, many many people have tried this, uh, and unfortunately, again. Nothing very interesting to go uh, to get from this uh, from these tests. No, right. Okay, um, it's a bit uh, frustrating, but <laughs> no. <laughs> yeah, no. So well, well, it's it is frustrating, but it also um, does. Um, sort of force you to really use your intuition when you're examining an animal or taking or and or taking a thorough history and talking to the owner. Um, I mean, that's real medicine, isn't it? Rather than relying on diagnostic tests for everything. If you're, you know, if you're gathering all the evidence and then really thinking about what could be going on here and then assessing the diet and um, and comparing what might be going on to what might be deficient in the diet. I mean, that's the the, the art of it, isn't it? It is actually, and what I used to say as nutritionist that the animal has to meet his food. Mm. Um, so it's a kind of summary to say what well, not every food is good. Is not every food is good to every dog. Mm-hmm. Uh, there is, but there is one for everybody, and then so um, yeah, not you can. Yeah, there, there is no universality in this. Mm. Um, I think yeah. Yeah, taking a personalized approach is definitely. The best, mm. the best way, isn't it? Yeah, and they're doing that yeah. more and more in human nutrition now as well. I'm um, doing sort of more personalized medicine and personalized approaches. Yeah, I think the individual uh, approach is the is the the best approach, especially in dogs and cats. Not, I mean, it's it's true for humans as well. But uh, when you consider dogs, you can get a one kilo chihuahua and a hundred kilos um, mountain dogs. Uh, you can get uh, neutered dogs, intact dogs, active ones, very sedentary ones. So um, it's very important to understand that the requirements of these different dogs are very different. Mm. Like energy requirement will be really different, the, the most different. And when you feed a dog based on energy, which defines the amount of food he would consume, then if it needs less energy because it's neutered or because it's, it has no activity at all, just walk for an hour on a leech each day, then of course you have to dec- decrease the amount of calories, so the amount of food we receive by nearly 40% right. compared to an active intact one at the same same weight, okay? okay. But doing this, yeah, so if you, if you keep the same diet uh, and you give 40% less, you give less energy, okay, mm. but you give 40% less of everything. So all the nutrients as well? 
Well, if you give the same food and you give less, to give less energy, you will get, give less of everything. Yes. And But the requirements are not less in protein, vitamins, mm. fatty acids, whatever. They are less only for energy. Right. And so you understand very quickly that there's going to be a problem there. Yes. So it's the reason why you cannot feed all, every dog the same way and it's going to be okay. It will not. And that, that, that probably would be quite difficult, I imagine, for some owners to, to sort of grasp that concept um, if they didn't have the help of someone like you. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm sure vets have a big role in this. Mm. Um, it's, and it's the reason why, to me, it's very important that vets, even if they're not specialists in nutrition, uh, specialists as the academic way, I would say, uh, that they they have this skill, that they understand this, and they can explain this to owners. So there are very few nutritionists, um, unfortunately, but uh, there are a lot of vets. And to bring this education to vets is, for me, the most important thing, um, because then they can educate people. And some pet owners are very, very aware on this, and they understand that very well. If they are told about it, there's no reason someone does not understand this. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, I think it's our role as vets to to um, educate people. I agree. And um, I don't know what the university structure is in France and Europe, but in Australia we, we didn't receive all that much nutrition education during the undergraduate veterinary degree here. So it is up to the individual vet to seek that out. And obviously that's that's one of your passions and something that you're offering over there. So the, the French vets are very lucky to have you. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, I, I do. Um, I'm afraid it's um, it's the case in Australia, but not only to not receive a lot of education on nutrition, especially on small animals, companion animals. Um, so, yeah, I'll keep doing this because I really like it. I enjoy doing that. Mm. <laughs> it's very, very cool for me, yeah. Yeah, well, it's obviously very needed. <laughs> Um, well, Geraldine, that's a really nice introduction to to um, talking about nutrition and, and how, how it is really the foundation of good health. But I know a, a, another large part of your work is using nutrition in a clinical setting for a specific disease process or medical condition. Are you able to talk to us about how um, the sort of the two approaches differ and how they they are similar in a lot of ways as well? And then maybe we can start to talk about some of the more sort of common conditions that we see in small animal practice and your approach to those? Sure. Um, the approach is based on nutrition and not based on the right, uh, the, the, the blue food for the blue diet. Mm. Um, for the main reason, for the same reasons that I've just explained, it's not every animal is the same. And if we, if we start to consider something very general, uh, it may work or not work and you just don't know why. And so this is, to me, the, the approach has to be individual and not general. Yeah. Uh, so let's go maybe for the to the uh, most common clinical cases that can be um, associated in everybody's mind to nutrition. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because um, in, in some situations, like most metabolic digestive and skin problems, nutrition should be associated with the treatment, definitely. Mm. In other cases... Um, nutrition is the treatment, like in um, overweight or obesity. Mm-hmm. Of course, with no nutrition, there's nothing's going to happen. Mm. Um, in other conditions like renal disease, pancreatitis, nutrition is a part of not only the treatment at, at, at 
the diagnosis like when there's an acute situation, but as a chronic situation, and it will improve the quality of life. And in case of renal disease or deficiency, the life expectancy will be improved. So mm. it's really important to consider this this way. Yeah, absolutely. So just given, um, yeah. So for to give an example for renal disease, uh, nutritionally speaking, the goal is to limit protein intake to the requirement, but not less. Mm-hmm. Um, to to lower the phosphorus intake, but not the calcium intake, which mm-hmm. means the calcium to phosphorus ratio has to be increased. Uh, we'll add some <clears throat> long-chain omega-3 fatty acids from fish oil, like EPA and DHA, mm-hmm. but not from cod li- uh, liver, just um, fish oil. Okay. And we'll check uh, the right amount of food uh, and, and calculate the right amount of food to maintain or reach optimal body weight. That means to prevent from uh, lowering um, or decreasing um, body weight. Okay. So this is the, the nutrition goal. Mm-hmm. Sometimes um, you'll find an option with um, um, a, a dietetic pet food, so fair enough. And sometimes um, the owner will come back, and it's, it's usually the time they come back to me because the vet will, the first uh, act will be to uh, prescribe a renal, um, uh, renal failure oriented diet, um, mm-hmm. diet, dietetic diet, prescription diet. Um, but then sometimes this diet will not be accepted by the animal. Yeah. And so at, at this point, often people, or the vets will come to me and say, okay, um, we have a problem there. We need the animal to eat. The owners ask for another option um, as the cat or the dog refuse the dry food or the wet food, um, which would be adapted to its condition. And my, my role at this point is to um, formulate or prescribe a home-prepared diet, a home-cooked diet, mm-hmm. uh, which will be adapted to this animal. So um, it's, it's a big part of my, uh, of my activity to do that mm-hmm. and uh, to provide a, a balanced, adapted diet to any special condition, really. Okay. Um, so if we, yeah, um, if we take the example of obesity, I think it's interesting because Obesity is definitely a disease in three ways to to me. First, because uh, once the animal is obese, its life expectancy is reduced by two years in average. Mm. So that's that's a, a first point. It's quite you know? significant, um, isn't it? Yeah. Um, second, it's um, obesity is associated with a chronic inflammatory state, mm. um, which means obesity will increase. Uh, the incidence or the severity of some disease, um, if we just cite one, because there are heaps of them, and we have um, publications behind this. So it's a lot a lot of disease that will be really um, uh, more severe in case of obesity. But if we take only arthritis, osteoarthritis, yep. uh, being obese is, of course, the weight uh, for a dog or a cat, which... Uh, walks on his four legs will be uh, mechanically traumatic, more traumatic. But there's something more, which is this inflammatory state. That means inflammation will be much much more severe in this case. Mm. And the uh, crisis, um, the inflammatory crisis, of acute crisis of arthritis will be uh, more often and more severe. And uh, some, some um, studies have shown that 
for an overweight dog to lose between 11 and 18% of its weight Mm -hmm. will decrease the clinical signs of osteoarthritis, which means for 35 kilos, dog losing 3 to 5 kilos. It's overweight, of course. So it's Mm not huge, but it's Mm. already very interesting to do this. So treating obesity should be really explained, you know, as a part of the treatment uh, to the pet owner. Mm, Absolutely. Right. But it's also very interesting for obesity as an example of how to make people follow you. Because, you know, Mm -hmm. if you have an obese dog coming to the consult and people are not even aware of this obesity or do not recognize it or do not recognize it as a problem, there is no way they will apply your prescription to make the dog lose weight. Mm, yeah. So, <clears throat> you know, so the consideration we have um, of the, the, the pet owner is at this point very important. It, it can apply to any condition, uh, but definitely in obesity, it's it's absolutely crucial to, to talk about it and have an idea of this. Mm. So talking of obesity, first try to make the owner recognizing there is obesity. So compared to pictures or telling them to to position their dog on the different pictures of body condition score we can get. Mm-hmm. And then once they consider the dog as it is, tell them, okay, maybe, uh, you know, it would be very positive and tell them that it would be beneficial to the dog uh, to lose a few kilos. Mm. As a vet, you have to consider technically uh, the optimal body weight because it's the only way you'll have um, you, you'll be able to go through and make this dog lose weight. But, but to the pet owner, if they're not ready for that, try to make them follow you. Yeah, and you'll be successful only if they follow you. Yeah. So it's it's uh, very critical and very important to be considered really, it's, especially in uh, in that case. Well, mm, it's really yeah. interesting. And so, um, Geraldine, if you had an obese patient coming in to see you, I mean, obviously, calorie reduction is the primary goal. And once you've got the owner on board, we hope. How do you achieve that in, say, a hungry food obsessed Labrador? to still provide the sort of satiation um, that food needs to provide to stop them sort of scavenging, um, but also mm. reduce the calories? Are you focusing on high protein mm. or high fibre or sort of what's your approach there? Uh, it's a very <laughs> very good question, actually. Mm-hmm. And it's quite often, of course, um, as um, uh, as we know. The, the option, uh, the, the idea is to calculate the amount of calories I will provide to this dog. So... The way to do it is to consider this dog as the, the dog hidden inside this obese dog, <laughs> the optimal body weight dog, you know, and it's this one we're going to feed. Yeah. Not the one we see, the one inside this one. In doing this, um, we will not provide the energy for this <laughs> hidden dog, but <laughs> we provide 20% less calories than that. So that's a huge reduction of calorie uh, intake. Mm. And so we definitely need a very high-protein diet Mm -hmm. because at the end, you know, um, the energy, the the calorie, the uh, protein-to-energy ratio of the food will have to be very high because we don't provide a lot of calories, but we still have to provide the same amount of protein as any um, dog 
as waiting the same amount of uh, the same weight as the hidden dog would require. Right. So we look for a diet. We look for a food containing enough protein, but not too much calories. Mm-hmm. And so if you find it, well, if you calculate the amount and the dog is happy with this, you split this in three meals, put the, the kibble in, in water, and if everybody is happy with this, fine. If you don't find it, you have other options. The first option is to mix this food with a source of protein, which brings not much calories. The best one we have, it's called meat. So yeah. lean meat, like uh, chicken breast, uh, like lean fish, the two best options. Mm-hmm. You can also, uh, so you will have to balance this with a um, um, minor vitamin supplement. Otherwise, as you give meat and a, a reduced amount of, of um, complete food, the overall will be unbalanced. So yeah. this is um, something you'll have to consider. And for appetite, you can always add a, a few low-calorie vegetables. My favorite is zucchini. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's very interesting because zucchini contains very few calories, like 16 calories per 100 grams, right. a lot of water, um, a bit of fiber, but not too much. So it's very well tolerated. And at the end, you can end with uh, for a 30 optimal body weight, 30 kilos Labrador, even if it's weighting actually 40. Uh, you'll end with, let's say, um, 200 to 300 dry food. It depends on the food. 200 to 300 grams of chicken raw. You have to poach it to cook it a little bit. And uh, 300 to 500 grams of zucchini. Right. All together, plus a, a, a mineral uh, supplement with calcium and vitamins and trace elements. All this will be mixed and given in three meals. Mm-hmm. And you will be probably very successful. Yeah. And the, the, the owners will be happy because the dog will not be starving. Mm-hmm. So it will not come, you know, at the table and beg for food all the yeah. time. Yeah. Um, and yeah, and it's a, a good combination. So if people want to cook, it's much uh, easier for me because I can balance as I, I yeah. need. But if yeah. they don't, it's a, a kind of um, medium way and it's very efficient too. So it's it's pretty interesting. Yeah, no, well, it makes sense. I mean, you're you're taking away the calories and the volume that you would be giving if you were giving a, a um, you know commercial prepared diet and replacing it with the lean protein source and really sort of a bit of fibre and a lot of water to provide that volume bulk to, you know, fill up their stomach, essentially. Absolutely, yeah. Mm. And it's a stomach and, and a bowl too because for, for people yeah. sometimes to give yeah. such a reduced amount of food, it's just impossible. Yeah. I mean, at, at some point, it's really nothing. So um, it can make a difference. And it's also, um, there is an option with wet food but it, it's much, much more expensive. So, mm. um, yeah, it's definitely an option to do this. I, I do quite often when people want this. It's something, it's really possible to do it in the best way. You know, there's a good way for the dog. So, mm. it's definitely interesting. But people have to respect some rules, the amount and the balance. So, um, definitely the addition of this um, 
manual vitamin supplements is really critical. Yeah, it's, it's quite important. Yeah, absolutely. And once the dog has, um, or cat, has reached their goal weight, do you alter their diet then so that they go on to some sort of maintenance plan or, you know, what's the plan once they've sort of reached their goal weight and they've lost the weight? Yeah, actually, when they have reached, it's very interesting to tell them how much weight they're going to lose um, the, in, in it, how, how many uh, weeks or months uh, it will take to reach this this uh, optimal body weight. That's very interesting to to give this information. Then people know where they're going to go and uh, they would follow much easily, you know, because they know it's going to take time, this time, and, and that's fine. Mm-hmm. And then... It's going to be more or less the same that when when the, the optimal weight is reached, um, you increase the energy you provide by ten to twenty percent uh, to really cover um, the needs of the hidden dog that mm-hmm. now is the actual dog um, <laughs> normally. And so, either depending on the situation before, but the, the goal is still the same to cover the requirements in energy and protein. So. Um, definitely interesting to um, look for the diet. Sometimes you keep the same diet and food, and just change a little bit of the amount, the amount of the, the dry food. Just increase it a bit, or you can change the food, of course, for another one, depending on really the option. So, if we um, keep the example of kibble um, commercial dry food plus. Uh, chicken breast plus um, supplement plus zucchini. Maybe if you keep the same food, the same commercial food, you would increase it a bit and maybe decrease a little bit the uh, amount of chicken. Mm-hmm. Um, that can be enough. Or uh, change the um, the commercial food and adjust on the other parts to maintain the same amount of energy and protein you want to, to, to get. So there mm-hmm. are several options again, but the goal is still the same, uh, to consider the dog and the all um, foods you're going to um, prescribe, actually. And just going back, you mentioned at the start when we were talking about sort of more of a clinical approach to nutrition, digestive health and skin health. Um, I'm sure they're two of the more common conditions that you see in practice. Personally, I'm quite interested in um, your approach. I know we're going a little off script here, but personally, I'm quite interested in your approach <laughs> particularly to gut health, because um, I know that, as Hippocrates also said, that the um, the gut is sort of the root of all all um, disease. <laughs> if, if a patient has, um, you know, just a sensitive gut or has been diagnosed with inflammatory bowel disease or something like that, um, how do you mm. alter the diet in cases like that? Well, actually, you're right. Skin disease or skin troubles and, and digestive problems are the two main um major um issue really um it's maybe the <laughs> the first um answer would be go let's go back to the first uh discussion about preventive medicine yes um and as the first as a first approach um to skin disease if we don't talk about the fleas, of course, because the fleas control is the main issue. Mm-hmm. So if we if this has been considered and, and treated, then um, the first thing to 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 see if uh, in case of skin trouble is to look at nutrition, actual nutrition. Does it cover the requirements of my dog or my cat or not? 
Mm-hmm. Um, to give you an example of this impact, the uh, health of hair coat and uh, skin in cats consumes, takes just for this, 30% of the protein requirements. Wow. So, yeah, so, and it's, it's, pro- it's we don't have the, the, the real um, number for dogs because there's not the, um, um, the, the publication, but it's probably close to that. So, when you consider this, um, of course, as soon as you reduce the amount of protein the cat receives, um, biologically, the body will not consider, oh, I don't have enough protein. Legs take protein from my heart because heart is a muscle full of protein and it's, it's kind of a storage. No, of course not, because it's vital to mm. have heart, um, yeah. healthy heart, you know. Uh, so the, the first thing which is going to be left um, is the skin. And it's also the first thing you're going to see. So always consider the, the skin and hair coat is the first alert of an imbalanced or, or unbalanced nutrition or deficient nutrition or malnutrition. Mm. That's the first thing to be considered. Yeah. And we are now in the world that as soon as there is a skin disease or a digestive problem, the first thing which some people will take in mind or, or get to their mind is allergy. The answer is no Allergy is not very common. Right. Impaired condition, impaired condition, impaired skin, impaired digestion is very, very uh, commonly linked to malnutrition. Mm-hmm. So instead of thinking allergy, think nutrition, better nutrition, better mm-hmm. coverage of the requirements. Um, and, and that's going to be a big change and uh, it's a, a huge impact improvement to me to consider it this way. The other thing is um, immunity. Skin and digestive tract are the two main um, uh, organs um, containing the immune system. Mm -hmm. And again, um, when you don't have proper nutrition, when you have a protein malnutrition or other nutrients malnutrition, the consequence will be an impaired immunity. And when your immune system is suffering, it does not produce properly the antibodies, the protection of the body against uh, foreign agents coming in, uh, against trauma, against, you know, Mm -hmm. and the reaction will will not be adapted. The Mm -hmm. third thing, considering the digestive tract, is it's it's not a tube, it's an organ. Mm. And it's the organ which will transform the food into nutrients that are uh, usable by the body to maintain condition, health, and so on. Mm-hmm. And the first um, the first way to have a, a healthy digestive tract, the, the, the first source of nutrients for the digestive tract itself, for its own um, uh, functionality, is what goes through it. That means if you don't feed properly, you will not feed properly first the digestive tract. Let's take an example. If you eat something, well, the dog eats a, a food which is not very digestible, how could you see it? Um, well, you know, nutrition is what, what comes into the mouth and goes out. OK, 
Okay, so yeah. you have to go and see the feces. And if a dog produces a lot of feces, um, like it, it, more than 50 or 70 grams of feces per 100 grams of dry food consumed, mm-hmm. uh, 40, 70, it's fine. Over this, you, and I'm sure everybody has in mind what I'm talking about, um, then it means that the food is not very digestible, not right. highly digestible. Yeah. Okay. So let's say the dog consumes some some food with not very digestible ingredients. These ingredients normally are digested in the small intestine, which liberates um, nutrients, amino acids, glucose, uh, fatty acids, which are absorbed mm-hmm. and go to the body. Mm-hmm. If there is not a good digestion, the the food goes to the large intestine mm. where the microflora will ferment yes. these nutrients, which should not be there at, at such a big amount. Yeah. Doing this, you know, doing this, the, the bacteria there will ferment this or putrefy the protein and liberate um, little molecules like um, amines, uh, like volatile fatty acids, like uh, lactic acid, whatever. Mm-hmm. Depending on the undigestible substrate reaching the large intestine, the local pH in the in the colon, in the large intestine, will vary. Mm. And this variation of pH will select a microflora because some bacteria grow very well in with some pH and, and some environments and some do not. Mm-hmm. And doing this, you have this production of substances, which, which are not normal, which will stimulate aggressively the mucosa and the body. And on, on the other side, you have this um, dysbiosis, that in the production, the, the proliferation of some bacteria, which will, are not very uh, interesting to the dogs. So the impact, the consequences of a food which is not adapted to this dog we go to this large intestine and provoke, induce some reactions that we cannot very easily consider looking at them. There is no way to, no tool in clinics to go to this large intestine and say, hmm, the microflora, this and this. Uh, you have to do a lot of tests. Very tricky. It's a big issue for now yeah. for gastroenterologists. So when you go back to nutrition and this, and you have this dog coming in in your practice, and it has an alternance, you know, between constipation and diarrhea. So there's some days with, some days out, or a part of uh, the day with constipation and, and half of the day with diarrhea. What to do? Well, you can do plenty, but when it's the first time people come, you can sit, you do something very easy. First, check if the food is good quality or not, mm-hmm. and maybe change it. But you can also, and sometimes it's not that bad, really. Theoretically, it would be okay, but it's not. So, well, just add vegetables yeah. to the diet. Yep. Just add zucchini or carrots or, or beans. Make sure they are well cooked, not mm-hmm. hard. You know, they have to be smooth. And you can give 10 grams of vegetable per kilo of body weight of dog or cat. Okay. So for a cat, you'll have to go and, and do it very progressively, mm-hmm. but for dogs, you can do that quickly. Mm-hmm. And and let's go and see. And in most cases, you'll see a huge improvement. Right. 
The reason for that is the fiber and water you provide will just is just what it, it needs to have a better transit yeah. in the digestive tract. So yeah. it's very easy and it's cheap and it's efficient. Yeah. Of course, it will not solve 100% of the cases, but it's so easy to do and it will solve maybe a part of them that why not trying this first? Yeah, absolutely. Um, well, well, I can I can keep going, but it will take you all day. <laughs> <laughs> we'll probably talk for, for hours and hours about this. We might have to have you back just to talk about gut health one day. <laughs> um, but okay. That's a really, it's definitely a really nice overview of some of the more common conditions um, seen in practice. And it's great to have those specific, um, you know, really practical tips that, that people can just sort of run with Um you know, as soon as they listen and, and hear this information, which is great. Um, I'm certainly really enjoying the conversation, but I know that it's um, early in your Friday morning and um, I, I won't keep you too much longer. I just had a couple more questions, Geraldine. Um, you sort of mentioned, we, we've touched on the importance of getting the client on board or the pet owner on board, particularly so when we're um, dealing with a case of obesity. But how, um, sort of for the other conditions, obviously if uh, an owner is preparing a home-cooked diet or or does have to do some sort of fairly um, more drastic changes um, to the diet, do you have any advice for practitioners out there of how to ensure that the owners are really on board? Um, because obviously it's really up to them. They're the ones feeding the pet every day. What do you find really works mm. here? Yeah, it's a very important issue, actually. Um, as vets, we are used to talk about plenty of things in consult, and then um, it's very difficult for people to remind everything, everything when they mm. go back home. Mm-hmm. And um, talking about talking about nutrition, especially, it's very important to understand and very important to understand that every animal will react a bit differently. So yeah. even if even myself, you know, even if I'm, I've been prescribing food for thousands of yeah thousands of dogs and cats, I, I always keep this in mind, and I my best advice would be to follow up at least. Uh, uh, two weeks after any change mm-hmm. you've prescribed, yep. like take asking people to come back to the clinic, wait the dog or cat, um, having the staff used to uh, register the the body weight, and be alert alerting the vet in case of a problem. So if you're expecting a weight loss, the weight loss appears. Fair enough. Thank you, Mr. Smith. Go back home. It's fine. Let's see you in a month. Yes. If it's not right, it's like, oops, uh, let's go and see the doctor because he has to check why it's not exactly as we expected. Maybe mm-hmm. there's no problem, but maybe maybe we have something to change. Mm-hmm. It's even more important for cats because cats have a tendency to not accept uh, a change in the diet. Yeah. So even if you prescribe a transition and, and you definitely have to write the, trans- the, the prescription, right, black and white, I mean, give written advice to people, yep. it's very important to check the cats have accepted the transition. Yes. Um, so my, my yeah, so that's the two main things. Yeah, and, yeah. Um, to, make, yeah to, to make sure people would follow my advice, I write everything. Yes, yeah. So, that's you know, good. there is so much to understand as a pet owner um, to avoid misinterpretation that it's much better to write a long prescription then mm-hmm. when people go back home, they can refer to something clear 
Uh, they will not fight if there are two of them. Of course, one has understand something, the other one something different, which is perfectly understandable. It's not easy for people, for pet owners, to understand what pets want from them. Nice. So um, I I do write. I do write on my prescription. I write the optimal body weight, the nutrition plan, of course, but also the way to prepare ingredients and food. Mm-hmm. And the way to distribute the meals, uh, the number of meals per day, etc., and the transition. Yeah. And uh, you know, to to write, make a progressive transition doesn't mean anything to a pet owner at all. Yeah. It can be interpreted heaps of ways. Yeah. Yeah. So I I, I write everything. Yeah. Got to yeah. spell it out. Yeah. Oh, that's really good advice. And again, something that that practitioners can really just start to implement straight away. So it's fantastic. Thank you. I know we're nearing the end now. Is there any any burning um, information that you feel like you haven't shared with our listeners, um, and particularly practitioners who are interested in nutrition? Um, well, hopefully they all are, but those who are particularly interested in utilising it as a tool in their practice, is there anything else that you feel like you need to share or do you feel like you've covered everything? Um, I would say, no, It's just consider nutrition is a part of the medical treatment. Mm. It's not something which has been to be done should have to be done by somebody else. It's it's yeah. really the vet's role to take care of this and embrace nutrition advice yeah. Yeah. as a prescription, not as a a little advice at the counter. You know, yeah. this is not the way. Yeah. So yeah, that's my best. Um, yeah. The best I can say, yeah. Um, well, thank you so much, Geraldine. I've really enjoyed having you on the show and I would love to get you back one day. Are you able to let our listeners know, um, you know, where they can find you um, all over the world, probably will be online, and um, how they can get in touch if, if they're interested in using your services? Yeah, actually, um, my just Google my name. It's probably the best uh, to find me. Mm-hmm. And um, I, I run a blog. Um, it's in French, but um, the, the translation tools now allow yes. <laughs> um, a lot. So probably a, a good way to get some information there. And uh, it will. We are improving our website, so it should be. Um, so yeah, my website in France is already also in English, yep. um, but we do not um, allow orders from Australia for now or, mm-hmm. or um, the other part of the world. But it, we, we 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 plan to do that. Okay. So um, it great. will come soon. Yeah. Um, yeah, it will come soon in in Aussie. So uh, definitely um, keep tune on that. It it will be coming. Yeah. Oh, great. So, really so in between, you can find me online. Yep. Um, yeah, so Google Geraldine Venture Cuisine. Um, it sounds French, so you'll find this quickly and, and find me. Great. Thank you. That's excellent. Um, I've, I've so enjoyed talking to you today and getting to meet you, even if it's over the phone. Thank you for giving up part of your Friday morning. Um, I'm glad it wasn't too early for you and you got to have your morning coffee before we spoke. Um, <laughs> I hope you enjoy the rest of your day and your weekend and I'll be in touch um, so we can get you back one day. Thank you very much, Sarah. It was um, a pleasure for me too. So um, very happy to talk to you today and um, another time whenever you want. This is the Pure Animal Podcast and I'm Dr. Sarah Howard. If you enjoyed our episode today, please feel free to give us a rating and review on iTunes.